Greetings, fair ghouls and friendly ghosts. Welcome to Give Me Goosebumps. Hosted by your fellow specters as they rediscover and relive the terrors of childhood. But, listeners beware. Actually, (laughs) you know the drill. Hi, I'm May. I'm the movement in the corner of your eye. And I'm Nova, the flock of crows you couldn't get away from. This week on Give Me Goosebumps, we're going to be talking about Erie, Indiana. Originally, this uh, this podcast was going to be about comparing Goosebumps to other children's horror media, but then we quickly realized that... Uh, we broke our thesis immediately because <laughs> Erie, Indiana is better than Goosebumps. It's better than Goosebumps. And... I know that's hard to believe, dear listeners, um, but you're just going to have to believe us and then you're going to have to go watch it online. It's not on a lot of people's radar. I had no idea it existed until got sometime like a few years ago. Uh, n- neither, neither did I. I wasn't born yet when it was first on in 91 and while it was on in syndication for a really long time on Disney Channel, it wasn't on long enough for me to like to act be like aware of it yeah i i just i can't believe that i never heard of it before especially with like the cast that it has we all grew up obsessed with hocus pocus and erie indiana has not one but two of the characters in hocus pocus or the actors in hocus pocus rather absolutely and from like our little like walk down imbd imdb a second ago we it seems like a lot of them had like at least a couple Disney things, so I see why Disney bought it for syndication and things like that. Um, it was popular enough in syndication that it was revived for Fox, trying to ca- trying to get some more of that Goosebumps flow with a, a spinoff called The Other Dimension. It sucked, and I don't want to talk about it right now. It's just so disappointing. We can get into that later when we end up talking about like the, you know, how the show was canceled and where it ended at. And then the revival. We'll talk about that later. But God, disappointing. Ah, You know, we do. We have to talk Mm -hmm. about it. But yeah. (laughs) So Erie, Indiana is a show that ran for 19 episodes, one season on NBC in the very early 90s. I believe it was 91. So the show is about two boys, Marshall and his best friend, Simon, as they uh, try to solve the mysteries of their weird little small town in the middle of nowhere. Uh, what, What I found kind of funny and perplexing is that I think Marshall is supposed to be 12 or 13, maybe, and his best friend, Simon, is nine. Yeah, but you know, uh, when you're a kid and even like some of your adulthood, you just spawn into the friends you're going to have because you don't go anywhere else to make more. And he's also going through the whole, I just moved from New Jersey and now I live in Indiana. This sucks. Same, dude. I feel ya. <laughs> uh, but coming from New Jersey to Indiana is also going from a city to a suburb. So it's also about just the uh, quiet, unsettling horrors of suburbia and the terrors of living in Indiana. Some things <laughs> I understand. 
<laughs> from personal experience. Yeah, there's an episode about an evil tornado and I cannot watch it. I tell you, it gets me too nervous. It hits too close to home. <laughs> but um, as Mars navigates, oh, Marshall goes by Mars for short. I'm afraid that I all my notes just say Mars because we're friends. Um, oh, yeah, obviously. <laughs> anyway, Mars navigates this with the support of his family, kind of. Like, they don't discourage him, and they eventually come to believe him in things. They're just, you know, they're just a 90s family. Got an I older sister. The The family in this is just so nice compared to some of the other, like, uh, dynamics yeah. we've, we've seen in the 90s. Like, the parents, like, I wrote about the mom, too, specifically uh, during uh, Forever Wear, but the parents are disbelievers but they're very kind like they obviously yeah. love their family very much there's no malice when they're like yeah okay marshall you're just being weird again and, and then I'm, i think that mars mars's like desire to understand the unknown and things also comes from them too because there are throwaway lines that imply that they're you know horror fans and stuff mm-hmm. and that's like the big event is they're all going to go see this like monster horror superhero movie thing together. And I just think that's nice. They like each other. Even the sister who is like sometimes put off that it's interrupting her studies and stuff. She likes her brother. was looking out for him. That's why she suggests uh, he, you know, getting ahead of myself. But she does want him to uh, get some girlfriends out of the corn sacrifice thing. <laughs> yeah, Cindy's fun. Like, she's that typical older sister in the 90s where she's just like, oh my god, Marshall, you're supposed to be opening the door for me right now so I can keep studying. And, like, she gets mildly annoyed, but, like, she teases him constantly, very lovingly. She's super ambitious. Like, anytime you see her, she's just like, she's not fucking around with boys and drama and shit. She's doing her studies. She's going on, she's like, she wants to be a journalist. So she goes, I mean, this sucks. This sucks in retrospect. She does go on ride-alongs with cops. But, like, it was a good for her moment. (laughs) You know, who's to say she's not pinning a beautiful ACAB essay? It's true. From inside Expose. The calls are coming from inside the cop car. (laughs) Plus, I mean... I think Erie, Indiana does an okay job at being like law enforcement inept. There's a, you know, there's that uh, hole in the head gang episode and they find the gun for a famous outlaw buried. And when you touch the gun, it gets all unrested. And then you have the ghost of a cowboy and uh, Simon is so worked up. That Mars is just going with him at gunpoint. He's like, what about our policy on guns? <laughs> so, like, it's ahead of its time on some things. It's really, like, anti-capitalist and a few other things that you're just like, damn, this, this is a kid show? Yeah, ATM with a heart of gold. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my, oh my gosh. Zombies and PJs. Like, that yeah. whole thing is about selling, selling your soul for credit. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's incredible. It's a great show. Yes. And, like, every episode is a banger. Like, there's only 19 of them, unfortunately, because it was canceled. Tragically Um, ahead of its time. Truly ahead of its time. But, yeah, it's, like, every character is is so delightful. And, like, it's got that thing, you know, where even though the actor kids, like... Omri Katz and um, 
Jason Marsden, they put their all into it, even if it's not always good. <laughs> like, they're not always good little actors, but it's so much fun to watch them explore these spaces. They're doing just fine. They don't have they don't have to be up there. And two years later, they were both in Hocus Pocus. And they nailed it. That voice work of Binks. By the way, he's Binks. I don't think we've said that. Because we've oh, kind no. of- Oh, well, okay. Omri Katz, who plays Marshall Teller, is, um, God, what's his name? Max. He plays literally, yeah, Max. He plays Max, the main boy in Hocus Pocus. And then Jason Marsden is Binks, but not the human version, just the voice. <laughs> it's it's not that he, I, I don't know if they just chose him because he wasn't like a stereotypically attractive child or if he was just because he was like four feet tall. <laughs> it's probably I, both but he's a great voice actor he was also max goof yeah he's done a lot i just learned he was chester mcbadbat from fairly odd parents and that kind of uh blew my mind a little so you know he carved his little path that way um omri is growing weed oh yeah in real life omri is now uh growing weed it's you can't buy it anywhere i guess <laughs> but he is growing it so good for him uh you know <laughs> shout out to what was it white recluse <laughs> give me some i talked about it on my podcast <laughs> sponsor us <laughs> <laughs> oh that'd be so funny okay that'd um, be so funny okay moving on though well i i feel like while we're sort of on this subject let's just talk about it all the little either kid actors, but also there's some adults that you might have seen elsewhere or, you know, this oh, could have been yeah. their first one. Why don't we get our uh, celebrity corner here? Celeb check. Yeah. All right. So um, a, a lot of the little cameo characters are not prominent actors necessarily, but actors that, you know, you would know from things. So first up on the list would be in Heart of Heart on a Chain, we have Danielle Harris, who went on to do, like, I think the Halloween films and some other horror stuff. Don't tell mom babysitter's dead. That yes. means a lot to people who have seen it. And then uh, following that immediately is The Dead Letter, and that features Toby Maguire, a young Toby Maguire. Oh, absolutely. Bring in all the future tears you know. And love from his Peter Parker role. Um, in uh, the episode after that called Who's Who, there was Chanel Workman, who I didn't know, but I just found out is directly related to Ariel Winter, who's on uh, Modern Family. So that was interesting. Yeah, we'd love to see a family that works. <laughs> uh, in Tornado Days, we have Matt Frewer, who was the voice of Panic and Hercules. We do have a lot of voice actors on this show, which is very cool. If we go down, another big one that I totally, totally forgot about until I was looking at the Wikipedia page to like remember all of the different episodes in Mr. Shaney, which is an, a werewolf episode. Uh, Stephen Root is there. So if you're a fan of <laughs> Barry, there he is. <laughs> a lot of overlap there. Um, Barry fans and Erie, Indiana fans. It's a Venn diagram and it's just us sitting in there. <laughs> 
Um, and then the last one I want to bring up is uh, America's Scariest Home Video, uh, Tony J, which is an episode that we watched today that we're going to go over. Tony J plays the uh, mummy whose name is uh, Boris Van Orloff, uh, a nod <laughs> to Boris Karloff, who played the mummy in like the original 1932 film. And Very he cool. was... Uh, Frankenstein's a monster, mm-hmm. and a couple other things. He was a he had a lot of uh, horror movie roles, actually. And I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna list off stuff that Tony Jay has done. He's been a narrator in about a billion things you would remember. Oh wait, uh, I can name one thing: uh, Rugrats. He was Doctor Lipschitz. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's important. Gotta, um, we got to give a shout out. Absolutely. And uh, since this is going to eventually segue here into my next little tangent, it wasn't like a ratings powerhouse, even though critics really responded to it and didn't get a lot of traction. Again, like I said earlier, tragically ahead of its time. So uh, it made sense to me that they did look at it and say, how can we make this work a little better? And for whatever reason, they decided their character, Mr. Radford, was actually somebody suffering from compulsive um, imposter syndrome. And the real Mr. Adford is revealed to be uh, John Astin, TV's Gomez. And we were, I haven't actually looked into it, but we were wondering if it had to do with the original actor for Radford leaving or if they just wanted to spice it up and make a new character because... Radford isn't like a bad character to begin with. He's just like a salesman and he's not yeah. really on the He's deck. just kind of there. He's just there. He's another adult in the town. And I think at some point, you know, getting towards the writing for the the second half of the, the season, they I think they realize like, okay, we need to have one adult who's yeah. an ally for these kids. And who better than the quirky guy who owns the the like tchotchke store? <laughs> and I love it so much because they Bring this guy out. He's getting arrested. And then new, better, always, whatever we want to call him, Mr. Radford's like, yeah, I'm not going to press any charges. He sold so much stuff while I was tied up in the basement (laughs) that I can't even be mad at him. Here, you want some, here's some milkshakes on the house. And they go, how do we know you're the real Mr. Radford? And he goes, you don't. (laughs) And that's kind of where he is the whole series he's always dropping little hints he believes in the boys he has a lot of like third act realizations where he comes and helps them and i think that well they didn't have like antagonists or whatever but having like more allies than just marshall's family because you don't see you see simon's little brother like one time but In the in bringing in this new Mr. Radford, they give them not only another um, person to confide in, but another person that's been in Erie Indiana long enough that they might have answers and answers they do have for the second mid-season spice that was peppered in here. The very same episode, we get a new Mr. Radford. The boys are investigating a haunted house and they go in there. They get themselves scared. But they mess up the final piece of evidence, so they go back, only to see that all the stuff they got scared of has been reassembled, and they see wires and stuff this time. They're like, well, who's crazy enough to live in a house that's haunted? And Dash X himself comes out from the shadows, raspy-voiced, 
gray-haired, no parents, no memories, a name only given to himself by the markings on his hands. And he goes, who's crazy enough to mess with a guy who's crazy enough to live in a haunted house? And from right there, you get no answers, only questions. It's just so funny. He becomes such a powerful character, and he's only in it for, like, what? I don't know. Nine not episodes, even half. He's not in like even. six episodes six or something episodes. at best. And he has such a presence and it's so distinct and it only begs more questions. Like nothing makes sense about him and they never they never give you any oh, fucking that's answers. Why I love him so much. It's all over the place. Like clearly he's like supposed to be a foil to Marshall but he also has like some good calls on his own he's just gonna try to make a little money off of it first oh yeah I mean he's he's such an asshole but at the end of the day he is there for them yeah but like even when he is there's got to be something in it for him he doesn't ever do anything out of the goodness of his heart oh for sure but uh you know little schemer uh, he eats out of dumpsters, so he's got to do what he's got to do for cash. No parents. <laughs> no Give memories. $10 to climb through the window. Yeah. He just woke up in Weirdsville. I just love it. I mean, everything about him is just so fucking funny to me. Like, platinum white hair. <laughs> um, he do- Does he always wear a trench coat? He always wears a trench yeah. coat, right? He, he always, always wears, wears a trench coat. coat. And he always talks like this. And like it's clearly I don't I don't know if it's true, and I would love to get Jason Marsden's answer on this. He's please, sir. Be I got doing... your autograph. No, I'm sorry. I mean, we both did. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, please, sir. Um, did you watch Heather's and try and do a Christian Slater? Because he's clearly like with the raspy <sighs> voice and like the whole attitude is just Christian ha- Christian Slater and Heather's. Like, he's Ugh. just doing a JD. It's No, so... you just cracked my brain open. No wonder I love this fucking child so much. I, I like gotta I go already... put myself in the corner. I'm so sorry. I thought we already had this conversation last time. We, we, probably, we probably did, but the, the <laughs> thing that, like, stuck out the most from that conversation for me was the new lore we invented where Dash X is indeed an alien, and his dad... Is the collector from Guardians <laughs> of the <right>. Galaxy? <laughs> it, yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> and it's alluded to that perhaps Dash X is an alien. I'll get into this more when we talk about <clears throat> the most Dash X centric episode I could get my hands on. Oh, please. Okay, how about I think we should talk about the two episodes we watched first because we did watch two about two episodes from the first half of the series. That did that were pre Dash X. So okay, yeah. I think let's talk about um, those episodes because then we can like sort of give a better flavor of what this show is like, and then we can just bust bust brains open with information about Dash X, and then you'll yeah, watch the show, and then you'll was, never have answers. That was the little teaser to get people to keep listening because they're gonna be like, I don't know what the fuck's going on with that kid. Mm-hmm. And then I get to trick everybody into hearing my pitch for eerie, <laughs> eerie animation. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I think that we should just start with Forever Wear. I know that was the second episode we watched, but it is the pilot. Yeah, and it's such a good pilot. I think it's a perfect start. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, I think it's the strongest pilot I have ever seen for any show, kids or otherwise. It, like, 
leads you in immediately you know exactly what Marshall is like and what's going on with him like you get a perfect sense of every single character in the show yeah within like five minutes every single character every person in the family his best friend what the whole neighborhood is like it's an introduction that like matches no other and the neighborhood what a neighborhood it is I I love that Elvis is there and that Bigfoot is there (laughs) but Oh. Yeah, and you have this little, the like little opening where he like goes to open his secret cabinet, and then he starts to write a note that's like, "To whom it may concern, if I'm dead, then this is what happened to me." Dramatic little twelve year old, thirteen year old uh, shit. Yeah. And then it leads into like why he's in Erie, and they use the same opener that they use for the rest of the series, but this is like the long version with all the information, like the whole extra lore, extra lore, and then it leads into the like. The theme, which is just like a wacky Twilight Zone. And I'm pretty sure it's harmonica. (laughs) Just like the little, like, this is why it's so weird. And and peppered throughout, like, the monsters and stuff. You just have, like, everybody mowing the grass at the exact same time. And then the herd of basketball players just dribbling down the street, which is very real to Indiana. Oh, yeah. And it's all in time as well. Everything is the same. You have this, like... Like Edward Scissorhands' perfect neighborhood. And then uh, you get to know the family. Um, The mom and dad, I love it because the mom is a modern woman of the 90s. She's like warm and loving, but she's a little messy. And it's because she's a working girl, which is funny because it says she's like a party planner. You never see her do that. You, you never see her work. She's always just chilling at home. And I respect that for her. And then the dad works at like Things Incorporated, the most generic thing you can think of. And they just like test stuff. So generic. But there is like a whole episode about how he loses his briefcase and it's like intrinsic to his work on testing shit. The first episode is contrasted with um, the arrival of a neighbor, which is like your first intro to like the weirdness of the town. And she is named Betty Wilson and she's like a happy homemaker from the 50s and she's got that red lipstick and that big pink dress and she is selling Tupperware which is so funny because it's not really like when you think of Tupperware parties I really do think of the 90s like my mom's oh for sure my mom's friends from Girl Scouts like held Tupperware parties (laughs) like my mom never bought anything but she went to all of them to like support her fellow PTA women. <laughs> That's I love that actually. <laughs> so I loved that. I thought that was very very nostalgic. <laughs> Betty comes to the house. She is like, "Please come to my Tupperware party. Meet all the gals in the neighborhood. Here's a sample." So she gives her like a little box. And the little tiny sandwich box is like, "This sandwich is just as fresh as it was when I put it in here in 1974." And everyone in the house is like, "Okay, I'm not going to eat that, but I'm going to put it in the fridge anyway to be nice." Um, and then the boys, Bert and Ernie, who are twins, perfectly alike, totally identical. They pass a note to Marshall that says, like, check the 1964 yearbook. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, Marshall does and they're in it and they're like, oh, my God, that means they're in their 30s, but they still look like they're 13 years old. What's going on? So they follow their so they follow uh, Marshall's mom to the party uh, at this party. They are greeted with not just Betty from the 50s, but. A bunch of her cosplaying friends. They're all from different eras of fashion. Uh, you got a, like a little mod lady. You got some seven, some extra seventies fashion. Uh, there, these women all give their testimonials on the forever wear. 
they all have beautiful little last names after different <laughs> foods, like Pillsbury. Swanson, Pillsbury, of course, and, you know, Crocker. And Stouffer. Yes. They really covered it. They didn't just go with sweets. They're like, no, we want to make sure these people eat. Mm-hmm. And as this is going on, upstairs, Marsh does some investigating, and he discovers people-sized Tupperware. And it keeps them fresh. Yeah, that the twins have been forced to be sleeping in. And so they talk to the twins, and the twins are like, yeah, when our dad left us, and then you find out that also the dad created Foreverware. Um, yeah. The dad left the family. Um, they don't give any information about why, but I guess that's not super necessary. Shitty dads exist. We know. <laughs> so uh, he created the Foreverware, and then after he left, uh, Betty just couldn't stand to see her her boys grow older. So she sleeps in the Tupperware and they sleep in the Tupperware every night. And they've been 13 for 30 years. And she makes her money peddling it to other moms that have the same fears. Mm hmm. Um, I, I do love when they are uh, all talking in the room and then Betty gets suspicious. She's like, where's my boys? And uh, they Mars has to hide in one of the Tupperware beds. You can see it breathing. I oh, love that. Yeah. I love that. It reminds me of the, the doors in the Haunted Mansion. Uh, <laughs> God, yes. And then, oh, downstairs when uh, Bert and Ernie are sitting politely as the party is happening, they're singing their little Foreverware theme song. Um, the painting behind them is like, like a painting of a girl holding like a Tupperware container. <laughs> yeah. We could, there's a lot of like, upon like rewatching, you catch a lot of like sight gags and little things that you just missed. Cause I know I caught a bumper sticker and then a button. She was wearing the button that was like, ask me about my self-preservation. <laughs> It's just such a good show. And then like all the all of the writing for it that's uh like here I can I can talk about some of uh the the in jokes. Marshall's English teacher is named Miss Annabelle Lee. Um Mr. Shaney is named after Lon Shaney who played the Wolfman in the original 1941 film. There's like a mention to Twin Peaks which was also prominent in the 90s, but it's like a one-off line. Um, like we already said about Boris Karloff and the mummy, um, there are like quite a few references to the Terminator, which is very strange to me. <laughs> oh no, not at all. That was huge then. <laughs> it's just very funny. Like even, um, the episode we watched, uh, Simon's brother's middle name is Schwarzenegger. <laughs> and then Bert and Ernie is obviously, a. uh, uh a reference to Sesame Street, but apparently there are other ones. That's just the only one that I know off the top of my head. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense, too. Because, like, I know Terminator wasn't geared towards kids, but if you could make an action figure of it, is it really not towards geared towards kids? And I oh, feel gosh, like that true. makes a lot of sense for why Terminator was so prominent. Because mm -hmm, <laughs> this was, like, the first one for sure was out, and I think the second one was coming out. I don't know. I actually haven't seen a Terminator, and I don't think I want to. Okay, so let's let's jump to the end of Forever Where. We got into a lot of detail here. End of the episode, he opens the Tupperware so that the kids grow up. They got to be in their late 30s. They open the Tupperware for their mom. She gets old. And then Marshall's mom is like, uh-oh, I have to cancel my Forever Where subscription. Yeah, because the sandwich goes so nasty bad. Yeah, because when Marshall opened the sandwich earlier, he left it 
undone. And there's a whole thing where it's like, make sure it's totally sealed because the aging process is very rapid. Yeah. And it sure is. And it sure is. And mystery solved the two twins are still doing twin stuff, but it looks like they get to go on and live the rest of their life, which is good. Mars didn't want anybody to be trapped in seventh grade forever. Yeah, it's funny because what I was saying is, you know, as an adult, this is different than if I had been, you know, a 13 year old watching this. When you're 13, you're like, fuck, I do not want to be 13 forever. Middle school is the worst. As an adult, you're like, well, if I could like lay down in a Tupperware right now. (laughs) Yeah. Like I might consider it. I would think about it. (laughs) And like, I know this isn't true at all and there's no war but like what if you stayed in there longer than eight hours like it's recommended would you turn baby huh good question i think that the point there is like just don't just, do less than eight i'm just being a smart ass could you imagine i just like derail you just the entire button yourself yeah, you just Benjamin button yourself, and we're try- we here trying to cut this down for time. And I'm just like, hey, what if this made you baby? And you just <laughs> had to mute yourself to fucking be like, fuck! We're good. <laughs> this is all just fun little bits for somebody else to listen to someday. <laughs> so yeah, uh, it's wrapped up pretty neatly. Mars gets himself uh, the forever wear with the tainted sandwich and he puts it in his little evidence stash and that's your first episode directed he does by not watch it he Ugh. does not wash it he puts no. the nasty moldy tupperware straight in his cabinet not I in mean, a plastic bag you can't nothing <laughs> you can't go cleaning off the evidence but i would have think i would have thought that he could have put it in a bag because there's no that's way his disgusting. parents aren't gonna not smell this like <laughs> that's so gross and yeah so that's Erie, Indiana, episode one, Forever Rare, directed by Joe Dante, the guy who did Gremlins. Fuck yeah! (laughs) (laughs) All right, so our second episode that we watch, we'll get through this one a little, a little bit faster. I think let's we won't give you a full description. I mean, we basically just gave you whole episode uh but the, uh, the pilot is just so strong it's just there's so much to talk about but the next episode we watched is called Amer- america's scariest home video it it takes place on halloween which you think would be like these boys favorite holiday they f- they don't like it and their costumes <laughs> don't make any sense for children do you yeah, want to talk about their costumes for they're reagan and gorbachev and like they make jokes like read my lips and stuff like that but it's just get nuked i yeah. it's just like what 12 year old and nine-year-old are aware of this and make I, jokes about it i i just it's you know. totally like i know that i don't usually have to suspend my disbelief too hard when i watch kids media but this one this was a hard <laughs> one for me yeah it, it was asking a lot to expect these kids to have like a political frame of reference for something that happened when they were arguably really small and yeah. it wasn't like it was like like it was a huge historical like televised event and everything but it also wasn't in history books yet they don't I mean, even I do know the that... civil rights movement in the history books here well, like yeah i mean but <clears throat> they wouldn't have i don't know that they would have been really small because this was like filmed or released in 90 or 91. I think it counts so as they 91. Wouldn't have been re- 
Yeah, so I don't think they would have been really small, but they definitely wouldn't be like, this is a topical costume. (laughs) Ha ha, funny. Simon's small enough that I don't know if he would have retained it exactly. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Mars would have like an idea of it. And I guess maybe this makes sense for him being kind of sort of like not edgy, but like, you know, he's a... But too cool for regular Halloween and for full costumes and like making some sort of commentary on society. He is that kind of kid. And you know what? Kiss on the forehead to him. Yeah. Even if it's presidential Halloween yeah. costumes, which are just the scum of the earth. And Sorry, it's Mars. it's honestly <laughs> a good thing that they don't dig this holiday very much because they are immediately tasked with watching um, Simon's younger brother because Sydney is busy studying. Go, Queen, go. Oh, and the parents are on a date, but I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. That's a weird, (laughs) that's like such a weird little B plot. Anyway, so um, we are introduced quickly to uh, Marshall's pet lizards that he has for a science project. And yes, their names are Godzilla and Mothra and they get thrown down his pants and he does a little dance and has to run upstairs (laughs) and he's running back and forth behind the door while Cindy is studying and it's very slapstick. I love it. (laughs) And uh, while they're doing all that, this little brother, uh, Harley, Schwarzenegger Holmes is a little terror. He's a biter. And he demonstrates his special ability by chomping down on the TV remote. And then he zapped in. Switches place with the mummy. Yeah, he gets zapped into the TV as kids be doing in children's media. They get zapped into things. Yeah, I love that you brought that up, and I was like, please talk about that. (laughs) There's all kinds of zapping. We just talked about somebody getting sucked into a board game last episode, so it's not... I love it, yeah. It's a big one. It's a uh, huge stroke. Yeah, while he's zapped in, the werewolf zapped out. Not the werewolf, the mummy zapped out. My favorite thing, though, is when they notice that he's in the TV, Simon very, like, sternly, like a parent, is like, dang it, Harley, you knucklehead, get back out here, like, talking to a TV screen. <laughs> I love it's it. They're such funny. kids. They're such kids when it comes to that, because they're like, uh, come on, you can hear me through the TV. <laughs> and then they're like, how did he get in there? And then they do this little forensic data where they look at <laughs> They compare the bite marks on the controller to the bite marks on Simon's arm. And, and it's they, like, yup, that's yeah. Harley, all right. Yep. And then they realize that they don't actually have a mummy with them. They have the actor that portrayed the mummy, and he's been immortalized through his art. I love when they catch him, too. They have, like, all these, like, do plan 39, where he, like, drops, like, Simon drops down on the ground, and then Marshall pushes the mummy who is actually the actor and he falls and it's very it's very fun i love i love these kids oh yeah they they were prepped and um harley reigns you know reigns in terror on the movie set he's destroying everything he's chasing people uh he kicks down the walls of the set at one point and he steps on the woman's dress and then her her dress rips off so she's just wearing like pajamas underneath and then he eyebrow waggles at the camera i'm just like dude what are you doing and so the actor is like okay time to go back in i thought i wanted a vacation from doing this but actually he's ruining my livelihood and they have him bite down at just the right moment and the transfer is successful only this time 
it was on the wrong channel. So the mummy actually goes to a beach themed movie. I love that it's like that split second though, because they got Harley back. Yeah. But because I- it was at the very end, when after he came back out, I guess, the mummy went back in, but to the next movie playing. I know. But it's just it's it's it makes the ending so much better though, because it's like him with two giggling girls in swimsuits, and then you have like this during the credits it's like the cgi of the mummy <laughs> surfing and it does this little fucking spin <laughs> i love it so much it's it really felt like that episode of batman where they have the surf competition <laughs> <laughs> oh i also really like um i just want to mention like the ambiance of this episode too of the fog appearing and disappearing with the mummy because like oh, the second yeah. the parents get home they mention how weird it is that it's foggy but then once um, Boris is back in his movie, The Fog in the House is gone. Yeah. And I it's really it. fun. I love it a lot. I love a lot of things about Eerie Indiana, truly. I think that wraps up that episode, and then I can get to the real meat and bones of this thing and talk to everybody about the loyal order of the corn. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That Dash X is truly going to need his own episode. And I feel like maybe that's a good thing because... He's such a game changer for the show that I feel like it's almost spoilers to get too much into him because it's like, it's so different from where the show starts. That's very true. But anyway, so it's Eerie's version of the Moose Lodge. (laughs) They all wear corn hats and eat popcorn. I think Franz is telling us that we're starting to go over time. So, Franz, uh, Franz, I'm, Franz, I'm sorry. this is the most Midwest episode. I'm sorry, Nova. I think I, I think that we can just cover this another time. It's going to be fine. I guess that's fine. You want to plug our socials? If you want to follow us on Twitter, we're at GMGB Podcast. We're also at GMGB Podcast on Instagram. And if you want to email us suggestions or comments, please be nice. To gmgbpodcast at gmail.com. Franz answers those emails. And are you really going to be rude to a little dude like that? Well, thank you for listening. Stay strange. And we'll see you on the other side. <laughs>